Turn, if you will, then, to our text this morning, which comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians. We will be looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the Gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. These verses before us this morning can sometimes cause question as to why they're located where they are within this letter. Right? Some people see it as kind of a disruption to the letter. They're kind of out of place they might see them as. And so I think it's important before diving into the letter to briefly go back over and sketch the flow of this letter so we can see where it is and why it is there. And so bear with me, but I think it's important to go back and quickly see to how we got to where we are. And so then starting back at chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, if you recall, Paul begins with his customary greeting and salutation. Paul then moves in verses 3 to 11 by thanking God that these saints were partners with Him in the Gospel. He was thankful for their fidelity in the Gospel. And then Paul moves on to tell them what his prayer is for them. Then in verses 12 through 26, Paul delivers a report to the saints. And he reports to them of his condition in order that he might ease their fear and their concern and their trepidation over Paul's imprisonment. And then we move in chapter 1, verse 27, to chapter 2, verse 18. And in this portion of the text, he goes on to describe to them how they ought to conduct themselves as the body of Christ. And he goes on to describe to them the Christian life as one of faith 
as one of suffering, as one of humility and obedience. And He gives to them the perfect example of this found in Jesus Christ. This humility shown in that the Son of God comes down, takes upon Himself the likeness of sinful flesh, subjugates His will to the will of the Father, becomes obedient to the point of death, and only then is exalted, sitting at the right hand of God. And in this, Paul emphasizes for the saints that glory comes through suffering. And then he tells the saints, as obedient children, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And he tells them, you can do this because God has provided within you new inclinations. He's given you new desires. And now He works within you powerfully to do His will. And then over the last couple of weeks, we looked at specific examples of how we obey in the Christian life. And remember, Paul called upon us to not be complainers, to not be grumblers, to not be disputers. But rather, we are to hold fast to the Word in doctrine and in practice. And in doing so, we shine as lights in this world. And Paul says that when we do this, he's glad and he rejoices. And he says we likewise should be glad and rejoice. And so with this being said, Paul now returns to his report starting here in verse 19. So here, verse 19 through verse 30 is really a continuation of where Paul left off in chapter 1, verse 26. He reported, he gave instruction, he provided examples to the saints so that they could see what he was exhorting them to applied. And now in verses 19 through 30, he returns to reporting to them about his situation. He provides them instruction and he gives them examples of what he just finished describing for them about the Christian life in verses 12 through 18. And he demonstrates it to them in the lives of these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And essentially what Paul sums up in these verses here today is that the Christian life, what these two men demonstrate, is about two things. It's about serving Christ and it's about serving one another. And so over these next 12 verses, we will see as Paul gives his report how he describes how these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, served God and served one another. Now at the outset, it ought to be said that if we are serving Christ, what will result is we will serve one another. And we will see this as we look to the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus But we will also see this in Paul as well. As we read through these next verses, we will see the heart of Paul, the minister, poured out before us. And so we're going to start by looking at what Paul says about Timothy, and then we'll move to what Paul says about Epaphroditus. So Paul tells the saints in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul 
is concerned for the welfare of the saints. But because he's in prison, he himself cannot come to the people and he cannot comfort them and he cannot minister to them. And so he desires to send Timothy to them because Timothy, like him, is genuinely concerned for their welfare. Although out of all those who surround Paul, it's sad to hear that he says that there is only one. There is only Timothy who is like-minded, who has genuine concern for these saints. You see, it is a sad state of affairs when Paul can say that he finds no other but one who cares for them like he does. Yet, this isn't just a Paul problem. This is a problem in churches throughout today. How often do we hear from people when you ask them, well, why did you leave this church? And they said, it seemed as if no one was concerned for us. We came to church every week. And before or after service, no one came up to us. No one asked us how we were doing. No one asked us over for lunch afterwards. It was like we didn't even exist. And perhaps, brothers and sisters, you know of people who have thought this way. Perhaps you at some time or point in your Christian life have experienced this yourself. And what a terrible thing it is. For it sours people to the church. Yet this is not consistent with the Christian life. As we see from Paul and from Timothy today, a genuine concern for others. Not a concern for themselves, but a concern for their brethren. And we have to ask ourselves this day, do I only think about what's good for me? Or do I genuinely have concern about my brothers and sisters? Am I concerned with serving myself? Or am I concerned about serving others? Do you genuinely care about the good of your brothers and sisters? Then I ask you, what is it that you do to benefit them? You see, in a, in a big church, it's easy to fade to the back. To just come into church and just to leave. But you see, there's a blessing in being in a small congregation like this. We get to know each other really well and we get to serve one another. In a big church, you have all these people, but you usually have a a small number who do most of the work. In a small church like this, everyone has opportunity to pitch in. And so do you desire to help? to serve your brothers and sisters. Perhaps for a time, that eagerness to help has dissipated. Perhaps when we were a larger body, you were more excited to help. But now you have real opportunity to help, to be involved. And if you genuinely care for one another, it will manifest itself in you serving one another. Whether that's coming in and setting up, Whether that's staying and taking down. Whether that's talking to one another. Finding out what's going on in each other's lives. Caring about what each other are going through. Perhaps calling your brother and sister during the week to see how they're doing. Perhaps it's praying for one another. 
This is what Paul is extolling. As Christians, we are to be genuinely concerned for one another. Our desire is to be to serve one another. But it is to be a genuine concern. A genuine concern. Don't act as if you're concerned. Don't come here and ask your brother and sister, what's going on in your life? Oh, yeah, brother, I'm going to pray for you. Go home and never do it. That isn't genuine concern. That isn't genuine concern. Paul is so concerned for the saints, he's willing to do anything to aid them in their growth. He's willing to do anything to help ease their fear and concern. He's willing to send his closest friend in his time of trouble for their benefit. Even though Paul's facing death, his concern is for the Philippians. He's thinking of them in his time of need. How different is that from how you and I think? When we're going through something, we block out all of the things and all we can think about is what's going on in our own life right now. Oh, I can't think about anything else. I'm going through this. This is what we focus our time and attention on. But this was not the thought process of the Apostle. No, he was concerned with others. And likewise, this was true of Timothy. For don't you think Timothy, this close friend of Paul, and one whom he's, Paul has called his spiritual father and he's called his son, don't you think he wants to be with Paul in this most difficult and trying time? Yet Timothy knows perhaps the best thing to do in serving Christ and serving the brethren is to leave Paul and to go be with the saints. And so Paul tells us exactly why Timothy was the only one ready to go and to serve. And he tells us this in verse 21. Because all others, they all seek their own interests and not those of Christ. You see, Timothy sought the interest of Christ, not himself. You see, if we're not looking to serve Christ's interests, our thoughts and our desires aren't going to be on serving one another then. You see, all that stuff that Paul said earlier, all that stuff about counting others more significant than yourselves, all that stuff about looking to the interest of others and not just your own, He's not just speaking theoretically. But in Paul, in Timothy, we see it applied. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't come to church just to hear a sermon and not have it affect our lives. To just go home and act as if we never showed up to begin with. No, it is to affect us. We are to apply it in our lives as we move forward. Right? This is what Timothy did when he received instruction from Paul. And we see this interaction in Paul's letters to Timothy in both 1st and 2nd Timothy. Paul tells us in 2nd Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. You see, Timothy had a sincere, he had a genuine faith, And so Paul encourages Timothy as one who has this sincere faith to seek the interests of Christ. Timothy, a minister of the Lord, called by Paul to engage in spiritual warfare, to be on the front lines 
As a few verses later, Paul tells Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the Gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy call. Paul's saying to Timothy, don't shy away from Christ. Don't be frightful or fearful that I, Paul, am a prisoner. But rather, Timothy, join us in battle. Jump two feet in and fight with us. Be willing to suffer for the interest of Christ, serving His interest and for the sake of the Gospel. Paul then goes on to give Timothy instruction. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul tells Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So just from these examples, we see Timothy serving Christ and serving others. He stood up for sound teaching. He was always prepared to preach the Word. He was not ashamed of the Lord. He was willing to share in the sufferings. And in doing this, he proved himself worthy. This is why Paul says in chapter 2, verse 22, But you know Timothy's proven worth. How he was a son, how as a son with a father, he served me in the Gospel. Paul says, No one seeks the interest of the church or the interest of Christ like Timothy. He has proven his worth time and time again everywhere he goes. Even so that Paul calls him his son. And why can Paul call Timothy his son? Well, think about how a son is to serve his father. A son is to serve his father cheerfully, joyfully, in total submission and obedience to what it is that his father asked of him. I remember as each one of my children were young, how ready they were to help. How eager they were to help. They're still helpful today. Perhaps not so eager without the threat of punishment. Then that motivates them to be more eager to help. But when they were youngsters, when they seen mom and dad cleaning, they would go grab the broom, even though it was ten times too big for them, and they'd try to sweep it. And even if you said, well, give mom and dad that broom, they'd start crying. They wanted to be of so much help and use to you. This is why Timothy could call, or this is why Paul could call Timothy his son, because Timothy was ready and eager to help. To do whatever it is that Paul asked of him. To serve him in the gospel, as Paul says in verse 22. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He did it readily, eagerly, with a genuine heart. No complaining. No disputing, but demonstrated great humility. And so Timothy proved himself worthy in his obedient, cheerful service to Christ and to the church. And so I, I thought about, if Timothy 
or if Paul were in our midst today, would Paul be able to say to each one of us that we demonstrate our proven worth? Perhaps you might think back, you might say, I think there was a time in which he could say that. In which I offered myself up as an instrument of righteousness, as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. But has that zeal for the Lord shrunk? Has the zeal for the Lord shrunk inside of you? You see, brothers and sisters, you cannot demonstrate your proven worth if you do not use your gifts and graces to serve Christ and to serve the church and it does not expire. There is no expiration date in which we stop serving Christ and we stop serving one another and we begin to serve ourselves. Paul served until death. And you and I are to serve Christ and to serve one another until we take our last breath. We don't retire from the Christian life. We don't retire from our service to God. We don't retire from our service to one another. Perhaps the way in which you serve does change. But if you are a true saint and have genuine faith like Timothy, you never stop serving. Never stop serving. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8, For as in one body we have many members, and the many members do not all have the same function, though many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let them use them, if prophecy in proportion of faith, in service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, Paul says, as long as we belong to this one body, we are to use the gifts and graces we have been given by the Lord. See, brothers and sisters, you, like Paul and like Timothy, demonstrate your proven worth every time you say, I'm not going to look to my own interests, but I'm going to look to the interest of Christ and the interest of His church. And if you allow me to share my heart with you, I believe that each one of you demonstrate that every time you show up here on Sunday morning. You could easily go to a big church. You could blend in. You could leave. You could, come, you could go and come as you please. And in fact, this might make your life easier. But it's not about what makes your life easier. If it was about that, Paul wouldn't be in prison. It would have, Paul's life would have been much easier had he not been in prison. But Paul wasn't concerned with himself. His concern was for Christ and his concern was for the church. Right? It, le- it might be less time consuming to go somewhere else. But you show up. Every Sunday you bring snacks. Right? You make coffee. 
You work the soundboard. You're at the door opening it for people. You're smiling and greeting one another because we are here to serve Christ and we are here to serve one another. Especially if this church preaches the Gospel. Especially if we teach sound doctrine which we know you cannot receive elsewhere. And as Reformed Baptists, I think that's what we believe. And so in doing so, brothers and sisters, you are serving Christ and you are serving one another. And that is whether or not we are ten in number or a thousand in number. And let me tell you something, God blesses that. God blesses that. This is a service Paul and Timothy demonstrated. This is a service Paul is commending for each one of us. And not only Paul and Timothy served in this manner, but he tells us likewise, so did Epaphroditus. So did Epaphroditus. And we see this in verse 25. Paul tells the saints, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Now remember, brothers and sisters, that Epaphroditus was amongst the Philippian congregation. He, he ministered to them at one point, And then he was called to bring this monetary gift which they had for Paul. And he was called to deliver this to Paul in Rome. And so, Paul, and so Epaphroditus has a, has a history with the Philippians. And so he's anxious to return to them for their well-being. Because they've heard that he has become ill and they're frightened by it. And so he wants to return in order to comfort them. He wants to come in order to ease their worry. Yet it is not only Epaphroditus' desire for this, but this, Paul tells us, is his very goal in sending Epaphroditus. As he tells us in verse 28, I am the more eager to send him again, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. You see, he wants them to be able to rejoice Yet at the same time, it will allow Paul to be less anxious. You see here though, in Paul's writing, the heart of a minister. A minister wants his people to benefit in every way. He's looking to serve the church. He's not looking to be served. He has great affection for the body and he wants them to grow in everything and in every way and he's willing to do whatever he can for that to work. And if Paul can't be physically present to minister and to comfort to these saints, he wants to send Epaphroditus so that he can. Yet, what we must continue to understand is that ministers are not superhuman. They're people just like you and I. Right? This is why Paul says in verse 25 that Epaphroditus ministered to Paul's needs. You see, the, the great Apostle Paul, the one who was gifted and graced and used abundantly by the Lord, even he needed to be ministered to. Paul needed to be ministered to. So think about how much more you and I need to be ministered to. And so, brothers and sisters, we ought to be ministering to one another. Right? This should be our desire to speak the Word in 
encouragingly to one another, to exhort one another, to help those who are struggling by pointing them to the Word, pointing them to the promises of God for the saints, to pray for one another, to lift a hand and help someone if they need it. Be quick to serve. Not to be forced into it. Not to serve because you don't want to look bad. But to genuinely desire to serve one another. And we must understand that companionship is important. Companionship is important. Leaning on one another at different times and at various times in our lives is going to be necessary. So we must make it our mission to be there for one another. That no one is lonely. That no one suffers alone. Yes, we ultimately depend on Christ. Yet Christ has placed us within this body that we might be able to turn to one another. That we might be able to lean on one another. That we might be able to share one another's burdens. And Paul needed this. And so do you and I. So do you and I. And so lastly, Paul tells us in verses 29 and 30, to receive Him, that is Epaphroditus, in the Lord with joy and honor such men. For He nearly died for the work of Christ, risking His life to complete what was lacking in your service. Epaphroditus, Paul says, serve Christ and in doing so, He nearly died. And fulfilling His mission, He became ill to the point of death and Paul says that we are to honor such men as this who serve in this manner to have less concern for their earthly life if it means more concern for Christ. Epaphroditus, in service to Christ and in service to Paul, desired to bring this gift to him and in doing so was gravely ill. But he was willing to risk his life to make it to Paul to follow out his very calling, even if that meant death. He was willing to risk it all. And so the, the question becomes, are we willing to risk it all? Christ teaches in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, you cannot be my disciple. Or in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Brothers and sisters, we must be willing to part with anything earthly for the sake of Christ. Right? Service to Christ comes first above all else. And what naturally follows will be service to one another. So are you willing to part with those things that are dear to you for the glory of God and for the sake of the church? And Christ certainly isn't asking too much of us, is He? I don't think He is. For Christ Himself willingly gave His life for you and I. He bore our wrath, took upon Himself our sins, He died so that we may live. And yet He died because of us. He died because of you and I. 
Because our sin, it was our sin that crucified Him upon that cross. And yet out of love for us, He laid down His life for the sheep. And now He beckons us if we are His people, I ask of you, serve me. Serve one another. That is what Christ asks of His servants. Serve me. Serve one another. This is the portrait that Paul paints for us in our text this morning. He delivers to the saints a report about His condition. And in doing so, He puts forth these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And He says to us, these men are the very examples of what it is I've been exhorting you to. They are humble. They are obedient. They hold fast to the Word. They shine as lights in this crooked generation. And they do it in order that they may serve Christ and serve the church. Serve you and I. And He gives us this example so that we, as the body, may behold this example and understand that the Christian life isn't just something we understand. It's something we do. It's something we do. And if God has drawn you out of this world and unto Himself, ought not we wake up every morning excited to serve Christ and to serve one another? To use your gifts and your graces out of genuine faith and out of sincere concern for one another and in doing so cheerfully as a young child to their father by the work and the power of the Spirit within us, we give evidence then of our proven worth as we offer up ourselves as living sacrifices in order that the Gospel may be proclaimed and go forth out into this world as we seek to advance the spiritual kingdom of God for as long as we live until the day in which He calls you and I home. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word which You have given to us through Your minister, Paul, and through the life and example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, so often we fall short of serving You and serving one another. We oftentimes put our own wants, our own needs, our own desires ahead of what is good for You and for the church. And we confess this before You, Lord, and we pray that You would use Your words this day to sear our consciences, to grow us, that we may desire to apply Your Word in our daily life, that we may look to the interests of Christ first and to our brother secondly. And in doing so, we will be glorifying God and we will be demonstrating our proven worth. And so, Lord, we ask for the strength and the ability that You would keep our health that we might be able to do thus this unto our dying breath. For this is our sincere desire to do out of genuine faith and out of gratitude and thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. The least we can do is serve Him and serve one another. And so, Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.